My name is Cassie Smith. I'm the Kids Pastor. It's genuinely really good to see you all. <laughs> like yesterday filled me up and I needed that. I needed us for a while. So again, if you weren't there yesterday, it's awesome to see you today too. Today, I am wrapping up uh, our series on this book. If you haven't bought it, it's worth a read. The Good and Beautiful Life by James Bryan Smith. We've been, we've been preaching out of this and working with it. And I got the summary chapter, which is called Living in the Kingdom Day by Day. Living in the Kingdom Day by Day. And each, each chapter invites you to a practice to like try it out. You know, just try this on, see how it works. And so, so I'm reading this summary chapter and it's like, you know, now you're just gonna go live one whole day steeped in kingdom reality. I'm like, okay. And one whole day, right, just aware of the Spirit's presence all day long. One whole day, just full of the Spirit, doing life as Jesus would do in constant communion with God. And by the time we're here, I'm kind of like, <laughs> no big deal. I'll just do that. Right, I'll, just, I'll just do that. Tomorrow, I'll try it on. I'll just try living one whole day in this abundant Christian life. No problem, James Bryan Smith. I got it. So, does this tone familiar with anyone? <laughs> when sometimes you're invited into deeper life with Jesus and sometimes I don't always receive that as an invitation the first time. And so uh, in true, in true like grow up in church fashion, I decide, even though I'm feeling some agitation about this and not real, real welcomed or settled into it, I was like, just push through, Cassie. Just keep reading. <laughs> it's not a strategy I would recommend to you. But so I keep reading and then I read Psalm 16:8. And he, it says, uh, I set the Lord continually before me, right? Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And I read this verse and I just start weeping. And I know, like, I know I'm a crier, but I was like, oh man, I, I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say with some conviction that God is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. And, and I read this and I was like, I can't do that with any integrity. <laughs> I'm not there right now. Or anybody, anybody, like I just, I want it so bad and it seems so far away. And all this sarcasm and anger, I think, was just hinting me towards the fact that I really felt overwhelmed at the prospect that I could actually do life like that. Like that there was some way that I could get there. And so, and so all of these longings and these fears are like bubbling up in me. And so I did the one smart thing I did that day <laughs> is I just chose rigorous honesty. And I was like, Jesus, here's this bundle of stuff I'm feeling. And I went, I went to this Psalm 16 and I opened it up and I was like, you better do something. Today, I just need you to do something because I don't have any juice for getting after this myself. And, and I, I turned to Psalm, like I felt like, you know how a doctor's like, show me where it hurts. I felt like going to that Psalm, I was like, this hurt me in some way. What is going on? And so I opened it up. I said, do something. And the, the result of that conversation I, this is hopeful, <laughs> is, is what I'm going to share with you today. God did show up. God did do something in that longing, in that place where I was like, I cannot do the Christian life. God showed up. And so I want to pray with us today. And then I hope, I really, I hold this tenderly because sometimes God does something so good for you that you're like, if I could just get one other person to understand this, I want to, I want to try to do that today with you. So will you pray with me to get started here? Oh, Holy Spirit, we name this longing <laughs> We name it together that we want more of you. We want all of you. We want you every day. And where we feel, where we feel like anxiety about that or frustration about that, God, come and meet us. Come and meet us today. We need you. We want you. We invite your presence to fill us up. I don't know. If you're comfortable, you want to open your hands. Oh, Lord, we ask you right now, come and move. Come and start opening us up. 
come and start like igniting our desires. Amen. Okay. Uh, so here's the deal. We are going to go to Psalm 16 today. If you want to pull it up, because there's no slides out here, it might be nice to have it in front of you. Uh, we will, we're going to make it through about eight verses, and we're going to try to kind of ask the question, what did it take of David to be able to say that? How did he get there? Right? Do you just kind of wake up and, I will not be shaken today. Is like Christianity just some Jedi mind trick? <laughs> not shaken. Okay. I don't think so. So here's what we'll do. We'll see how did David get to a place where he could say that with some conviction. Let's follow him. All right. So Psalm 16.1 says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. And I guess I was a little surprised by this. I was a little surprised that the, the I will not be shaken prelude is like a plea. <laughs> keep me safe. Keep me safe, God, for in you I take my refuge. Now, I, I know, I think the deep breath moment in your Christian life where you're just like, all of a sudden I need to relax for a second. I need to calm down. I need to acknowledge that I need some help here. I think that's what David did right here. Keep me safe for in you I take refuge. And I, and I got to believe that even in the petition itself, even in naming the question or the longing, there is a, there's an act of confidence on David's part. Right? You don't ask people for help if you don't think they can help you. <laughs> and so something about this, David has recognized like, you're the one I picked for refuge. Okay, you're the one that I've chosen. And so because of that, I need you to keep me safe. I know... Uh, when I prep, I often, I try to like look at pictures of you. I don't know, does that creep you out a little? <laughs> but I'll, I'll go on face. I'll just like, I see your, your faces in my head. And I was reading this, keep me safe, friend. You are my refuge. And I'm thinking of those of you in this church who have spent your summer boarding up your windows and hosing down your lawns, right? People who get up every day and put on PPE so that you can go to work and put yourself at risk to save other people. And I was like, geez, <laughs> keep us safe. Right? Keep us safe. We have named you as our refuge, and so now we need, you to, we need you to be here for us. And so I just want to say, like, for those of you who have made those pleas this summer, I just pray for more courage and more conviction that in the asking, God would show up in bigger and bigger ways for you. That you would feel settled into the request itself. You with me? Let's be askers. <laughs> Let's ask more. Let's ask more from Jesus. Okay, so... So David has shared his desire, his longing. And now he says in verse two, I say to the Lord, hey, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And in the, in the Hebrew, I know people love it when people say that, uh, in the Hebrew. But uh, it's true, in the, in the translation, it goes, I say to, to Yahweh, right? The, the big name that cannot be named. I say to, the, to that guy, you are my Lord, Adonai mine. Okay. In other words, David is saying, God of all of Israel, God of the universe, big God, powerful God. Wait a minute. You are also this guy's God. You also belong to me. And I think some of that was talking to me in my, in my frustration, in my longing, you know, they get to a point in your Christian life where it doesn't matter anymore. If you think God is theoretically good. It just doesn't fly. It doesn't fly that you have like lofty beliefs about who God is. There comes a day where you just need to know that this God of the universe, this one is for you. And it has to work itself out in here. Have you been there? <laughs> have you been at that place where, where church tells you God is good or your friends tell you whatever and it's like, I don't care, God. I need you to tell me and I need you to tell me now. 
And I think David is not acknowledging this. God, Yahweh God, you are my Adonai. And so I wonder, some of you, some of you right here, I think this is just, just an act, an act of, of petition itself. God, do you want to show me that? Are you willing to show me that? Some of us, I think, have, have an expectation that it's, that it's scary to ask that, and you're right. It requires a lot of vulnerability. Uh, it's deeply personal to ask somebody that feels that big and that far away to come and do something in here because we are, we're not always super good at recognizing that when it shows up. If that is you, if that any part of that feels like you, like I want that God to mean something in here, God loves to answer this prayer. Okay, and I want to pray with you today, and, and you can ask him right now too. But, but like this idea that God out there wants in here is the second thing David says. He says, I've made you a refuge, keep me safe, and now I need you to get yourself in, into me. Okay, verse three, verse three. Let's follow, right? We're still following David. We're still trying to see like, how does he get, how does he get to this unshakable place? Okay, so in verse three, we read, I say of the holy people who are in the land, these are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more, and I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take their names on my list. Okay, are you catching what he did here? Verse 3, he says, I, I see these holy people, the righteous people in the land. They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. And you know what? If you, if you were here yesterday or you attend a small group or you eat and drink and hang out with church people, you understand what he's saying. <laughs> there is something so juicy and good and life-fulfilling about being with other people who recognize God as their own joy and delight. So he's like, I see these people. Okay, and then in verse 4, he gets a little, a, little, a little more removed from our culture, right? He says, those who run after other gods will suffer, but I'm not going to pour out libations of blood, sacrifices of blood. Now, don't tell me if you're doing this. <laughs> well, maybe you should tell me if you're doing this. This is not like a modern part of our culture, right? This is not part of our church life, but well, let's talk for a second about what libations look like in 2020. <laughs> okay, I, I offer libations to the God of power, every time I have to finagle my way to control a situation. That's a libation, right? I'm pouring out some of myself to appease a God who is not Yahweh. I offer libations to the God of politics every time I think, hey, if, if this party could just settle down or figure this out and this person could get elected, then everything will be fine. That's a libation. I'm offering up a hope to somebody who is not Yahweh. I offer libations to uh, the American so-called dream every time I, I pursue my own happiness at the expense of others who suffer. So, so we do this, right? We offer libations. <laughs> we don't pour blood out, but we do it in a lot of ways. And, and, and David has recognized that all of these, these kind of libations, all these offerings will, will leave you longing. Okay, there's, there's a cost to them. Right? There's a cost to following Jesus, and I think that's some of the overwhelm I was feeling at the beginning, like the cost of how do I get there, the cost of what does it require of me, and how do I change my life. That cost is true, but there is a whole other cost when you, when you pretend you don't know those things, and you pretend that, that the world's reality is the only one. There's a cost. Okay, and I think the cost is, is deep enough and, and scary enough and hidden enough that it's worth asking yourself, what is it costing me? What gods am I offering libations to and, and what is it costing me? 
Hmm. All right, we're gonna keep going. David has been, he's named a choice, right? This whole, I can be one of these guys. I can, I can find delight in the presence of others who follow God along with me. Or I can, I can run after libations. And then his response to this, verse 5 says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup, and you make my lot secure. The boundary lines, they fall for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. He's picked. Right? He has picked. He says, it's you. It's got to be you. I don't want a portion, I don't want a lot that is outside of you. And, and if we had time, we'd read all the way to verse 11 where we find out that, that this portion is really just a measure of proximity. David sees his inheritance as, it's, as his relatedness to God. And the closer he gets to this right hand, the closer he lives there, the longer he lives there, the bigger and more delightful his inheritance is. You should read, you should read the, verse, the, the rest of this later. Okay, go all the way to the end. We won't make it today. Okay, but one more, kind of one, two more ideas. How? Okay, so David has he's offered a petition. He's named that he has a choice. Christians, sometimes we feel like we don't. We forget that we have choices. We have choices here. We have choices to do things God's way and not, and then we, we get all bundled up thinking like, if I don't, God's mad. No, if you don't, you suffer, right? We suffer, we suffer. It's our own, it's our own detriment. And so David says this, and this really, this is where I think I had a kind of coming to Jesus moment. In verse 7, he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Sleepless nights, anyone? COVID realities? <laughs> Anybody staying awake, wondering, worrying, thinking things? Uh, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a big deal for me. Sleeping has been tricky. And so this idea, this idea that the Lord who counsels me is who I'm looking for, even at night, even at night, my heart instructs me. It got me thinking about uh, my, my like human being counselor, okay, my therapist and I, and about the nature of our relationship. Okay, this person, this person can do some things that other people cannot do. <laughs> this person can tell me some truths that I will not hear from a lot of other people. Okay, this person will ask me questions that infuriate me and they do it with a gentleness and a tenderness and a for me-ness that, that keeps me awake to that. And I wonder, I wonder, can we see God like that? Right? What if we allowed God to counsel us the same way that we let a counselor or a therapist counsel us? We let him ask us questions. We let God, we let God speak and name truths about our life that we find uncomfortable. I think it is in the act of doing that. It's in the doing of that. Okay, that God becomes our refuge, right? I don't think we just name God as a refuge and then hope for the best. I think it is in the act of kind of tutelage that we let God, we seek God, we go to God as a counselor and we let the questions come. We let the decisions be made. We let the tough stuff get worked out. Somewhere in that act, God steps into the role of our refuge. You see the difference? Right? There's, a, there's a doing, there's a placing ourselves in a position that God begins to have God's way. These, this wind feels good, right? This wind feels good? I'm glad for all of you. I'm just like, uh. okay. All right, one, one last part. Here we go. We're going to get to verse 8. Verse 8 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. See this? This is what I wanted. This is what I wanted to be able to say. God is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And, and when I think about what it took to get David here, 
Okay, let's just review. He, he worked through a petition. God, you, I picked you as a refuge. I need you to keep me safe. He identified the choices that he had in his life. He allowed God the act of counsel in his life. Okay, he received it. He received it. And, and after all of that, it's like he can land on some confidence. And here's, here's what I think is really happening. All of that work, all of that stuff David did, okay, he, he is entering into an experience of who God is. Okay, I think some of us grew up, who grew up with like, do your devos families, do your, right, like get a little religious about making sure you spend time with the Lord. If you, if you have some of that in your history, in your background, I just want to ask you, I want to beg you actually, please do not let religious baggage keep you from seeking encounters with God. Okay, like there is a God that you can know through these quiet times, through daily devotion, through whatever you want to call it. Okay, but don't let religious stuff get in between you and that because David doing all these things probably looked a lot like quiet time. <laughs> it probably looked a lot like, like some of the stuff we got, we got taught as kids in church, if that's your story. And if it's not, you got a leg up probably. <laughs> like we, we want to sit before God as a counselor, which means we, we give God room to speak. Uh, Richard Rohr, Richard Rohr says it this way. After I participate, God, in this presence, after I participate in the presence, I have courage to make friends with the unfamiliar. I want some of that. I have courage to keep my heart open in the midst of fear and doubt and suffering. I want some of that, right? I want to I wanna be able to say that I have the courage to not be shaken. And I think only through the experience of who God is, what kind of God this is? How do we work? Only after I experience that do I get to participate in this nature. And in the experience of that, I can say, oh, this is a God who will not be shaken. And you let me into that, so now I will not be shaken either. Okay, outside of that we piece, it does feel like a Jedi mind trick. It feels like, I guess I will not be shaken today because somebody told me. But in the doing and the knowing and the stepping into who God is, we get the guts we need to believe that. Okay, so I want to invite you today. Here's, here's one thing you can do this week and one thing you can do right here today. One thing this week, read the Psalms. Okay, they are the music of the scripture, right? This is the music of the scripture. When you have a bad day and you put a sad song on, uh, you're working some stuff out, right? If, you have a, if you're having a fun time with friends, you put some music on and you dance and you release, right? The Psalms do this. Where are you, when the next time you find yourself in a place where you're just like, Gah! God, <laughs> go to the Psalms. Okay, you know what? And find one you like. I don't know why we get weird about this. Like if I open up and it's not the right one, God's not talking to me. No, you just find one that you like that is speaking to your moment and you let it do its work. Okay, try that this week. Okay, second thing today I want you to, to think about is we go to worship, doing what David did. What it, where do you need your refuge? What does it look like? What does safety look like for you right now? Tell God about it. Okay, where is that? And then the other thing I think David is really good at was naming the best stuff he knew to be true about God to God. Okay, reminding himself that those things that are true about God can do something in my life. Okay, so as we go to worship, will you do that? Will you start to, to, to seek for what you're looking for? Worship team, you can come on up. Uh, you, can, you can start to ask God to reveal what's good about him. If you're here and you're like, I don't know if there's anything good about God, tell him that. <laughs> Okay, tell God that. Say, like, I don't know. I don't know. I got nothing. And God can work with nothing.
Okay, so I want to encourage us today as we go to, to just be, to be askers. Be listeners, be receivers. And God, we invite you now as we go to worship to come and to speak to our hearts.